0: Now, we're continuing our study in the book of Matthew, as you know, and Matthew is actually teaching us how to live in this world as kingdom of God people in an evil world. Now, Jesus is coming to the end of his life. That's where we are in our study now. Peter's going to deny him three times. If you remember, Peter, uh, Peter's going to be following Jesus to Caiaphas' house, the Sanhedrin and Annas' house. And he's going to be watching the events unfold. Remember, Jesus told Peter that he would deny him three times. And what did Peter say? Not me. Not me. It's not going to be me. These guys, all these guys, they might do that, but not me. We're going to learn today that Peter's going to deny Jesus three times. And also, Jesus will be taken to Pilate for the three civil trials that he'll experience. He's he's already experienced three religious trials. Three civil trials will come ahead with Pilate, Herod, and Pilate. That would be the sequence that he goes to those guys. So if you would, stand for reading of God's word. We're in Matthew chapter 26, verse 69 is where we will start. Now Peter sat outside the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him, saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth, but again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. A little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, surely you're also one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the word of Jesus, who had said to him, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. When morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. And when, he had bo- when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. This is the word of God. Our Father, we thank you for this word. Lord, as always, we are studying the word of the living God, the inerrant, infallible word of the living God, who's teaching us how to live in this world that is evil and running from God. Thank you for this study today. Lord, thank you that you have warned Peter about denying him, but you also restore Peter, and you just don't leave him languishing. Thank you for the hope that we have in the times of our failures. Thank you for this time to study your word, Speak to our hearts today. Holy Spirit, open our hearts and minds to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. As you know, the theme of Matthew is, Jesus is the promised king there is a king coming that's going to right all the wrongs in this world and we can't wait we can't wait and as I just said there were three illegal trials and went first to Annas's house Annas was the real high priest he was deposed by Rome because he was kind of not going along with Rome and then Caiaphas's son-in-law became the high priest and then Jesus goes in, in invariably to the Sanhedrin and all three convict him of blasphemy. Jesus is going to tell Peter that he's going to deny him three times. And it starts with a servant girl. Now this is an opportunity for Peter to stand for his faith, but he crumbles in the face of a servant girl. Verse 69 and 70. Now Peter sat outside the courtyard. This is probably Caiaphas's house where the Sanhedrin were meeting, they were all conspiring to get Jesus. And a servant girl came to him saying, you also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you are saying. Denial number one was an opportunity for him to stand for his Lord, and he did not. Just like Jesus said. Remember, Peter is the one that has big talk. Big talk Peter. He's always the first one to speak. He was part of the inner circle. Remember Peter, James, and John. He was privy the things that the rest of the group weren't privy to. You know what Peter did? He walked on water. Nobody else did. Jesus is walking out to them. He thought it was a ghost. And then Peter says, oh, if it's you, Lord, let me come out to you. And, and Jesus says, come on out. And Peter walks on water and is, is walking on this firm water until he took his face off of jesus he took his faith off of jesus and he started to sink and then there was another miracle maybe you don't remember this miracle but jesus takes big O, heavy wet peter takes him by the nap of the neck and places him in the boat where he's safe now i don't know if that's exactly how it happened but that's how i'm seeing it (laughs) that looks like a miracle to me he was on the mount of transfiguration with peter james and john were there He saw Jesus when he was glorified. He he just exposed his inner glory and and, and just the Shekinah glory was shining forth. Peter was there and he wanted to put up booths because he thought, oh, this is the kingdom. The kingdom is coming. And then Peter was at the house of Jairus' daughter when she was raised from the dead. Peter the boastful crumbled at the accusation of a young girl. Isn't that amazing? Now, God had to deal with something with Peter. Something that he deals with all of us with. And he had to deal with Peter's pride. Peter's pride. What is pride? What is pride? If you look up the definition, it's an excessive love of one's own excellence. Zadiades in his Greek text defines it this way. One who shows himself above all his fellow man. Remember Peter, these will all deny you, not me. Think about who was the original pride one that came into existence. It was Satan. Remember, he will he will usurp the throne of God. In Isaiah chapter 14, we read the following. For you have said in your heart, Lucifer, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, above all the other angelic realm. I will sit on the mount of the congregation. I will rule on the farthest sides of the north. And then... Satan says this, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. I will be worshiped just like God is. And God says, oh, you are making a mistake, Satan. You have made a huge mistake. Peter was allowed to stumble because God had to deal with his pride. Peter was privy to many spectacular things, but he was steeped in his own pride and it had to be dealt with Peter would fail and listen to this folks we all will fail unquestionably we are not going to be perfect till we're out of here when our glorified state Peter failed we fail each one of us remember our Christian life is all about you should get this by now direction not perfection i'm not going to be perfect here but i'm moving in a direction to be more and more conformed to the likeness of christ and hopefully you can see in your life changes in your life as you are making faith choices instead of flesh choices as they come into your in the path of your life that you are changing you are growing in first john chapter 1 verse 7 through 10 we see this about direction not perfection listen to what john says but if we walk in the light That's the light of the Lord Jesus, folks. As he is in the light, what happens to us? We have fellowship with one another. We have koinonia, close relationship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now I want to take a pause here. Because there are people in the holiness movement that think that you can have holy perfection while you're here. No way. Ray. Okay, that is not going to happen. You're not going to be perfect here. The scripture just told us, if we confess our sins, this is a great verse, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Every sin can be forgiven, folks. Remember that you've never gone too far. If you take that time to repent and turn to Christ, you can be forgiven. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Folks, the moment you believed, Christ. Sinless perfection was credited to your life. You know what that word is. It's justification. Justification. Pure and clean in the sight of Father because of the blood of Christ cleansing you from all your sins. Now, I want you to think about this. Oftentimes, people will look at their Christian life as saying, well, I'm going in the right direction most of the time. But I'm thinking about taking a little foray into fun land. And remember, fun land, world land, always ends you up in bad lands, okay? Remember that. There's always going to be trouble. When you presume upon the grace of God, get ready for a problem. So many Christians say, well, if I just go over here for a little bit, I know God will forgive me. He will forgive you. But folks, there's always consequences to actions. Always consequences to action. And God expects something from every believer every believer to be in the battle fighting to go in the right direction until you're taken out of here we will not give up and we will not quit we will not be perfect until heaven but we're going to be in the struggle in the battle now i want to review for you and i'm going to use a word here that i've used many times <laughs> inculcate teach by repetition the three phases of salvation so you never ever ever forget When you were born again of the Spirit, when you said, yes, I place my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior, you were justified at that point, free from the penalty of sin. What was the penalty of sin? Eternal separation from God. And then God freed you from the penalty of sin, brought you into his family, gave you eternal life with him forever. That's justification. But now every born again believer is in the process of sanctification free from the power of sin. You have the spirit of God dwelling within you that gives you the ability to do what? Say no to the flesh and yes to the spirit of God. You can make faith choices instead of flesh choices. You have no excuse for your sin going forward. You can overcome anything. And then finally, phase three is glorification, free from the presence of sin. That's the state of perfection. That is when our resurrected bodies and our spirits are joined together at the resurrection. That is glorification. No more rebellion in heaven. No more angelic rebellion. They have passed their time of testing. These are the elect angels spoken of in Timothy. And no more human rebellion because you are glorified in a state of perfection. Think about this. Peter was confronted by a servant girl. Peter was warming himself by the fire. There was a whole bunch of people warming themselves by the fire. And he heard these words. You were also with Jesus of Galilee. Now get ready for Peter's response. Now you'd be expecting Peter to say, yes, I was with Jesus of of Nazareth. I was in Galilee with him. I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus, but he did not say that. I do not know what you are saying. Peter is being exposed at this moment as a denier of the Lord Jesus Christ. How sad. Mark adds at this moment of time, The rooster crowed. And could you imagine what Peter felt at that moment? But it didn't stop him. There was another girl that accuses him in verses 71 through 72. It's the second denial. Watch what happens here. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. Now watch the acceleration here of Peter. But again, he denied, this time with an oath, emphatic, emphatic denial. And he says this, I do not know the man. He has deteriorated to, I don't know what you're talking about to, I do not know this man. What What a deterioration. Now notice what happens here. Peter was initially by the fire, warming himself. He was found out. And now he's going to move to the gateway. The crowd was around the fire. It was getting too hot for them, him there. And so he's going to change locations. Change locations. He withdraws to the gateway. It's darker there. And there's fewer people there. He thinks he's going to be safer there. And he's not. He's not. Peter thought, like many of us today, that he would be hidden in the darkness. Hidden in the darkness. How many people think... That they can sin in the darkness, sneak around in the back seat of a car, sneak around in in an apartment someplace and think God doesn't see. God sees everything. It's like a giant spotlight that is on us. And we, he zeroed he sees everything. Everything is uncovered before our Lord. How silly it is to think that we can hide from almighty, omniscient, omnipresent, omni-everything God. We cannot. We cannot. Peter thought like many today he could be hidden by the darkness. Psalm 139, 12 says this. Indeed, listen to this. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you. God, he's got it speaking here. But the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. God sees everything. And if you know Hebrews 4:13, nothing, nothing. Nothing in all creation, nothing is all creation, is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him whom we must give an account. We get away with nothing. Everything is exposed to the light. And remember this, the light always exposes the darkness. What did Jesus say that he was? He says he's the light of the world john 8:12. i'm the light of the world whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but have the light of light what did he say you were you are the light of the world you are reflecting the lord jesus christ to the world around you and let the world see your good works that they may glorify your father who is in heaven the darkness cannot bear the light when the light comes the darkness must flee i have a little picture of you this guy with a lantern the light always displaces the darkness Always displaces the darkness. I want you to think about something. If you are the light of the world. If you are the salt of the earth. If you are to impact your culture. And you're living in this culture today. What does the culture want you to do with your light? They want you to cover it up. They want you to get out of the way. Get, not displace any of their darkness. Our culture wants your light out of sight out of mind, and by the way, more and more, the culture is intimidating Christians to remove their light from the public arena. Let me say this loud and clear. Don't, don't, don't let your light shine. That doesn't mean don't let your light shine. That means don't remove your light from the public arena and let your light shine. Peter could not evade his accuser. Why? Because it was ordained by God, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he would deny three times. And three times he did deny. The second girl, the fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. And Peter accelerates. He denies with an oath, adding clout to the denial of Jesus. And notice what he does. He invokes the name of God. His claim of innocence. I invoke the name of God that I am am not with this guy. Now listen to this when you make an oath to God, this is not casual. This is a big deal. He expects you to keep your oath. Keep your oath. When you invoke the name of God to claim your innocence, I swear to God that I'm innocent. Be very careful. Very careful. What I think is going on here is a form of blasphemy. It's breaking the third commandment. You know what the third commandment is? Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. You might be more familiar with the King James Version. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. And normally we take that as a as a, as a curse word or a casual uh, use of the word that we use in our vernacular so often in our culture today. Blasphemy is this. Folks, do not use the Lord's name in vain. Blasphemy is evil speech, a false report, slander, Now, this is what it is, misusing the name of the Lord your God. It is saying something that is not true about God. Saying something that is not true about God. Do you know that the name of God is so revered among the Jewish people, particularly in the Old Testament, not today, as it's very secularized, but in the Old Testament, that they would not even say the name of God. They would not say Yahweh. They would not say Jehovah. They would say Hashem, Hashem, the name, the name. They revered it so much, much different today in our culture. Misusing the name of God, not bearing the name properly, misrepresenting God is an egregious thing that Christians can do. Don't do it. This goes much more than a swear word. Now think about this. Peter's descent is, I do not know the man. I do not know the man. He lowered himself. Jesus is a mere man. How sad, how sad that Peter goes. Remember in, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Now you don't remember this, but I'm going to help you remember it. They're in, they're in Caesarea Philippi. It's the northern part of Israel. And they're looking on this rock face. And on this rock face, they have all these gods that are carved into the mountainside. And then Jesus turns In the face of all this demonic worship, and he looks at his disciples and he says these words, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And they answered this way. The group answers this way. Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Some say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And Jesus looks at him right between the eyes. He locks eyes with the group. And he says, but who do you say that I am? Now that's a question for all of us. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who is he to you? Is he just somebody that's going to help you through everything in life and give you all that you want? Like you're a little baby or is he your God? Is he your Lord? Is he your master? Is he your redeemer? Is he your savior? Who is Jesus to you? That is the question. And then Peter answers this question this way. He says, "Who, who do the men say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. The same one is talking about Jesus being a mere man here. You are the Christ the son of the living God. That's how he could have answered those girls. That's how he could have answered the crowd. But he says, oh no. At this time, he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And watch what he goes on to say. Jesus says this, blessed are you, Simon bar Jonah, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood is not revealed to this to you, but my father who is in heaven. How far has Peter fallen when he says, I do not know this man? How awful of a time. What a terrible time for Peter. Think about this. This is not Peter that does this stuff. It's all of us. Whenever a believer cruises with the world system. Whenever a believer cruises with world think. World think. Whenever a believer is intimidated to fit in with the world that is around them. To go along, to get along to go along with the crowd and influenced by the crowd, I'm telling you, get ready for one big, giant compromise in your life. I just want to have, what do people say? I just want to have some fun. I just want to let my hair down. I just want to experience some cool things. I tell you, just the Christian life is the cool thing. It's the coolest thing that you can ever have. Living like the world always Costs you, always costs you. Peter's descent, compromise. Get ready for, another thing that happens is justifying your actions, justifying your actions. And you can always, whenever you take a foray into the world, get ready for one big, giant mess in your life. And it's going to take you a long time to sweep that mess up and to get back on track, particularly with people in the world around you. That have been affected by what you've done. God forgives you quickly. Pe- people are much slower to forgive. Much slower. Listen to this statement all believers are called to act like a believer, even when you're surrounded by your friends who are pressuring you to act outside of who you are in Christ. Even your family members can do this. Co workers, it happens all the time. Join us. Join us. Have fun with us. Folks, that's World Think world fun always brings problems a believer cannot sin without feeling the pain and consequences of that sin did you hear that a believer cannot sin without feeling the pain and consequences of that sin the reaping and sowing principle is real folks it's just the way God works it's just the way he works Galatians 6 7 and 8 going to come up on the screen. I'm going to say a couple statements here before we get into it. One cannot sow to the world and come out unscathed. You will not. Satan will tell you you'll get away with it, but you always reap later and greater than what you sowed. Later and greater. Listen to what the scripture says. Do not be deceived, believers. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. You cannot pretend you're a God follower and then do world stuff and think you're going to come out. Okay. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. And the one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Folks, God is serious. You're a believer in the Lord Jesus. He expects you to conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of christ regardless of the pressures that have been put on you conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of christ if you have to take a time out and get yourself together before you respond to somebody verse 73 through 75 the whole crowd's going to accuse peter now they're all jumping on him 73 and a little later those who stood by came up and said to peter surely you also are one of them for your speech betrays you. Notice the intimidation there. You are one of them. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the word of Jesus and said to him, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. At this point, the rooster crowed three times <laughs> and Peter has been fully exposed. He cannot hide. Peter cannot hide by denying Christ any longer. The crowd says you are one of those who with Jesus. And notice what he says here, the crowd you've been betrayed by your speech. Your speech betrays you. Do you know that in Northern Israel, they had a Galilean accent. We were in Israel in 2003, and we had the privilege of having Amir Sarfante as our guide as we went through the place that was all empty because of the war that was going on with, at that time. And Amir emphasized to us that the Galileans were known as Galilean hillbillies. They were the backwards people. The Jerusalem people viewed them as lower class Their speech detected who they really were. He could not hide. His speech betrayed him. Peter, in full defense mode, he began to curse and to swear, saying, I do not know the man. I have a question for you. I have a question for you. What will you do when you're accused of being a Jesus follower? What are you going to do? Do people even know that you're a Jesus follower? Do your workmates know this? Does your family know that you're all out for God? Do your friends know that you're all out? Or have you blended so well that they can't tell the difference? Full defense mode. And he calls down curses, a curse of death at God's hand if his words were not true. He swore an oath. This is not like cursing, swearing like we look at today, but he's cursing. He's calling a, a curse of death at God's hands if these words are not true. Luke adds something very interesting at this point. Listen to what he says in Luke 22:60 60 to 61. Immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed and the Lord turned and locked eyes with Peter. Boom, boom. And what happened to Peter? He felt that extreme pressure of locking eyes with his Savior and how he has failed his Lord this three times. And this is exactly what Jesus predicted. And what did Peter do? He went out and wept bitterly. This, folks, has to be the lowest point of Peter's life. The lowest point. The Peter who never took a step backwards Peter who always had something to say Peter who never lacked courage Peter is now a denier of his Lord and now can you imagine the shame discouragement despair that Peter is feeling at this moment it has to be overwhelming it has to be overwhelming and I imagine something is going on here in the spirit realm and I think you can imagine this too in the spirit realm, sitting in the background with glee, who do you think is there? The Satan, the Satan. It's actually how it's pronounced. The Satan. You know what the Satan is? He is the adversary of God and God's people. He is also called the devil, Diabolos. Now listen to this. This is an important part. Do not miss this. Diabolos is an accuser. The one who cast himself between people to separate them, to cause division. Anytime you see a divorce, anytime you see conflict between people, anytime you see wars and rumors of wars and problems, there's always a demonic element and they're stirring it up. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, humanity, mano a mano. These are spirit fights. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in heavenly places. Folks, you must realize that behind every conflict is some sort of demonic entity just egging it on, egging it on, egging it on. Happens all the time. Remember this. Satan's calling card, number one, number one thing he uses against humans is deception. Deception. Matthew 24 4 says this, take heed that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name saying I am the Christ and shall deceive many towards the end. Deception. It's going on in spades right now all around us. Deception. How about this one? discouragement satan is a master at discouraging you you're never going to be any good you're never going to make it you're never going to get out of this pit of despair how about this one which i think is crescendoed in our generation distraction you've heard me say there's a million that's really hyperbole lots of times that we are the most distracted culture that's ever lived in the history of the world. No other culture has been inundated with all the information overload that we have with iPhones, iPads, I this, I that, that constantly bombard your mind. We'd never get a rest. We never get a rest. We cannot refocus on our Lord because we're distracted. Look at you're distracted by Gaza. You're distracted by Hezbollah. That's going to be the next big thing there. You're distracted by, oh gosh, when's Ezekiel 38 and 39 going to occur? You're distracted by all the stuff that's going on in the world where heretofore it would take months to get information to you. Now you have it online in your face 24-7 and it affects our beings, folks. It affects our beings, distraction. And the fourth one is division. He is one that separates. He is one that comes between people. He's an expert. Look at all the division in churches, folks. Look at many, how many church. You haven't been in a church any length of time until you've seen a church split. Something's happened there where, where, where the enemy's gotten in and caused confusion, division in a group. It happens all the time. You have to be very aware of his schemes, his methodiah, as it says in Ephesians chapter 6. We are aware of his schemes. We have to know how he acts and counter them. You have the armor of God. Use it. You have the Word of God, which is a sword of the Spirit. Use it as your offensive weapon. Memorize the Word. is important. Is important. Satan is back there, discouraging, deceiving, distracting, dividing. He's an expert at. Guess what? He's an expert at also, guilt and shame. Guilt and shame. Who hasn't felt those emotions? Guilt and shame. Satan attacks with guilt and shame and discouragement. Peter was, had to have these feelings. He had to have them. What might this look like for you, this guilt and shame? How often have you felt like, I'm a, really not a, a good person. I'm a bad person. I'm just not going to be good enough. I'm worthless. I'm, I'm a fool. I deserve this shame. Sound familiar? Now, when you are attacked, and by the way, you will be attacked with this guilt and shame and deception and distraction and all that stuff, you will be, you are to counter with the truth of the word of God. Again, God has not left you powerless. He's left you powerful. You have the Holy Spirit of the living God. You have the armor of God. You have the sword of the spirit. You have the ability to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. You are a warrior that is absolutely prepared for this battle. Know who your enemy is. So you counter with the truth of the word. Romans 8.1 says this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let that resonate in you. Every one of us have failed. Every one of us have fallen. Every one of us has missed the mark, folks. We have all done this. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Condemnation is this. No judgment will be made against you. No condemnation. No judgment will be made against you. Why? Why? Because Christ took all of our judgment on the cross, all of our guilt, all of our shame, every bit of it on the cross. Think about this no believer who confesses their sins and earnestly repents, that means turn, change your mind, turn with the expectation that I'm not going back to that cesspool. Not to just get you off a hook for a second and say, oh, I repent. With every intention of going back. No that's not repentance. Repentance is I'm changing my mind. About what God has told me. I am moving in his direction. No no believer. Who confesses and repents. Need live in prolonged guilt. And shame. You know what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts you. Of sin righteousness. And judgment. You know what the devil does. He condemns you. Conviction is to bring you back. To God, to run to Papa, to run to Abba, to ask for forgiveness, to renew fellowship with Him. That's why we confess our sins, renew our fellowship. Our relationship is intact, but our fellowship is broken by sin. We feel that sense of where is God in your distance from Him. But oh, Satan wants to condemn, to drive you away from God. Listen to this you have been set free, you have been. Set free from all the shame, all the guilt, all the condemnation. John 8.32 says this. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. John 8.36. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Free indeed. Folks. This is so important. Know who you are in Christ. Know who you are. And then be who you are in Christ. Be who you are in Christ. And then act like who you are in Christ. Who are you in Christ? You are a victor, you're an overcomer, you're a bride of Christ, you're the child of God. And remember this when you are in Christ, God is your protector, God is your shield. God is your way maker. God is the one that will never leave you nor forsake you. God loves you more than anything you can ever imagine. Anything. When we act like a believer, when we act like a real believer, the people will know, the world will know that you have really been with Jesus. The world will know you're different. Verse 27, verse one and two, Jesus is going to be sent to Pilate. Just a, Just a little anecdotal note here in in between Judas's repentance in the next, next week. When morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. Notice when morning came, these were all at night, illegal trials with Caiaphas and Annas and the Sanhedrin. And when they had bound him, remember the sacrifice had to be bound. Jesus was bound on the cross. They led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Now, the conspiracy here is going to continue. They want Jesus dead. The Jews have no right to kill him, but Rome can. And that's what they want. Now, remember, at this point, Jesus has been beaten mercilessly. In Matthew 26, 67, we read this. Then they spat in his face beat him, others struck him with the palms of their hands saying, prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? That's significant because after they spit on him and beat on him a little while, they blindfolded him. It says in Luke 22:63. And then some people add that they took rods and they just beat him mercilessly as they pounded on Jesus with a blindfold on so he can't even move away from the blows. Off to Pilate Jesus goes. Rome had to put their stamp of approval on murdering Jesus. It's interesting. When Jesus was accused of blasphemy, in chapter 26, verse 63, we read these words. But Jesus kept silent, and the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Now, this is important because when you're called the son of God, they're going back to Daniel chapter 7, 13, where the son of God is God himself. They know the scriptures. And Jesus said to him, it is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you hereafter, you will see the son of man, Daniel 7, 13, sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of glory. And when he said this, this is glad he's saying he is God unequivocally. Then the high priest tore his clothes saying, he has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of any witnesses? Look, now you have heard his blasphemy and now they want Rome to kill Jesus. Rome. Now Pontius Pilate is the one that's going to be accused of killing Jesus. And he's culpable for sure. But the whole world killed Jesus. All of our sins put Jesus on the cross, but it's interesting The following is really some excerpts from Don Stewart's work on this, talking about Pontius Pilate. You know, when you talk about the people in the world, they know about Judas, they've heard about Jesus, and most of them have heard about Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate was the fifth Roman governor of the province of Judea. Pilate, listen to this one, in John 18, 37, Pilate admitted that Jesus was innocent. Watch the scripture. Pilate asked him, so you are a king? Jesus replied, you're correct in saying I'm a king. I've been born of coming to the world for this reason, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to me, Jesus said. Pilate said to him, what is truth? Kind of sarcastically. After Pilate said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I don't find this man guilty of anything. You have a custom that I should free one person for you, for you at Passover. Would you like me to free the king of the Jews? And what did they say? No, give us Barabbas. Give us the insurrector. In John 19, 12, Pilate tried to release Jesus. Watch these words. Then Pilate tried to release him, put to the, but the Jewish leaders told him, if you release this man, notice the coercion here. You are not a friend of Caesar. Anyone who declares himself a king is a rebel against Caesar. We're going to tell Caesar on you, Pilate. How about Acts 3.13? Pilate's effort to release Jesus is noted. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you Jews delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. Matthew 27:24, Pilate denied responsibility for Jesus' death. Watch what he does here. Most of you probably get this. Pilate saw that he wasn't getting anywhere and that a riot was developing. So he sent for a bowl of water, washed his hands before the crowd, and he says these words, I am innocent of the blood of this man. The responsibility is yours. He tries to get away from the responsibility that he has unsuccessfully. How many people today have you heard say, well, I don't really believe in abortion, but I do believe a woman should have a right to choose. Well, those are not congruent. I believe in traditional marriage, but I think that two loving couples of the same sex should be able to get married together. Folks, let me tell you something. You cannot cover yourself by saying, I don't, but give assent to those lifestyles. Listen to what it says in Romans, Is it Romans chapter one, which talks about the three phases of a culture or a people that turn away from God. Number one phase was they gave them up to the lust of their flesh. That was the sexual revolution. The second phase was vile passions, women against women with women, men with men, the unnatural things that were going on. That's homosexuality. But the third phase is where we are today. A totally given over depraved culture. God gave them over to a debased mind. an a documos, non-genuine, non-righteous mind. Filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality. And he goes on with this huge list. And then he says, those who practice these things are deserving of death. But listen to this. Warning. Not only do the same, participate in them, guilty, but also approve of those who practice those things. If you are giving approval, whether it's tacit, silent approval, or vociferous approval, you're as guilty as the people engaged in it. That's what the scripture says. That's the tragedy where people get trapped and thinking they're okay. They're washing their hands of it. Thinking, I'm okay, but I'm giving assent to it. Folks, that is dangerous. That is guilty. That's where our culture is today. Debased mind. Given over to everything. Justice has fallen in the streets. Righteousness is is turned back. Folks, we are a guilty people. Living in a land that is turned away from the living God. And we are reaping the consequences of that. Finally, in Acts Acts 13, 28, Pilate is the one who wrongly allowed Jesus to be executed. They found no just cause to execute him, but they asked Pilate to have him killed anyway. Do you know there's people today that deny that many things in the Bible are true? There's no evidence for it. Do you know that there's evidence, archaeological evidence for a vast number of things in the Bible, including Pontius Pilate in 1961? An Italian archaeologist did an excavation in Caesarea in Israel, and he discovered something. First time ever. A two-by-three-foot inscribed stone with this written on it. Pontius Pilate, prefect of Judea. Archaeological discoveries have validated what the New Testament has said, and it's over and over and over that this happens in our world that archaeological discoveries validate what the scriptures say. You can trust the word of God as being true, as being true. Some closing thoughts. Now, you know that all the disciples denied Jesus. They all ran. When Jesus was put on that cross, their dreams of a kingdom coming was done. They thought, this is it. This is the end of the whole thing. We've wasted three and a half years. That was kind of like the attitude. Peter's denial was most dramatic because he's, the one that stood out the most. Remember, by tradition, he's called the big fisherman. He was impetuous, courageous. He was a take charge, born leader. He didn't have to guess what Peter was saying or thinking. He was, it was always right on his sleeve what he was thinking. Jesus had to deal with Peter's pride. And remember this. Please don't forget this. God hates pride. That's where sin came in the world was through pride the pride of satan then it went to adam and eve and it's passed on to all of us god will deal with our pride whether it's hidden or overt out there he will deal with it proverbs 6:17 says this six things god hates seventh is an abomination to him the first one is a haughty eye a proud look he disdains he hates that Peter was full of pride. Peter, after his three denials of Christ, was never seen as prideful again. Peter was broken, and Peter was restored. We don't have time to go through the whole restoration in John 21:15 through 20. I'll give you the short version. Peter asked Jesus three times, do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter responds three times, you know that I love you. And then Peter is given an instruction three times. He is told this. Number one, feed my lambs. Feed my Arians. Feed my little ones. Then he says, tend my sheep. Encourage them to go farther. Comfort the sheep. Encourage them to grow. Direct them, Peter. Lead them. And then he says, feed my sheep. Feed the older ones. He had a mission to feed the younger, to feed the older And to tend the flock, to encourage the flock to mature and to grow. That's what a pastor teacher's job is. It's not to give jokes. The pastor's teacher's job is not to be funny. The pastor teacher's job is to lead the flock, protect the flock from the wolves, and help the flocks to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Jesus then says these amazing words to Peter and to each one of us who stumbled. And folks, that's 100%. That's 100%. Each one of us have stumbled. Each one of us have fallen. Each one of us have had problems that we aren't proud of in our lives. He says these words to Peter, follow me. And that's what he says to each one of us. Oh, pick yourself up by the power of the Holy Spirit and follow me. Peter's failure, listen to this, did not disqualify him. Peter's failure Failure was an impetus for him to go farther. And Peter finished well. Crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified like his Lord. He didn't deserve to be crucified that way. Can you feel Peter's heart skip when the master still wants him? I still have value. Oh, Peter, you still have value. You have have great worth to me, Peter. Think about this. Think about the grace of God and the mercy of God. The grace of God and the mercy of God. God over and over and over graces us. He over and over and over mercies us. This is our God. He's not a harsh God waiting to pounce on us. He is a God that is willing to take us back. He is gracious and merciful over and over. John 1.16 says this. From the fullness of his grace... We have all received one blessing after another. It's like when you go to Lake Michigan or you go to the ocean and the waves just keep coming. Boom, boom, one grace, one blessing, one mercy over and over. That's our God. That's our God. We have to have a right picture of our God. Jesus did not leave Peter languishing in his past, but encourage Peter to move past his failures. Folks, that speaks to each of us. We have all failed, and if you haven't acknowledged that you've failed yet, you will fail in the future, okay? Just get that through your head. Don't languish in the shame. Do not languish in the shame and the bitterness. People often are bitter. People languish in their fear or "I'm worthless. Jesus tells each of us, as he told Peter, follow me, follow me, folks, following Jesus, picking yourself up is the normal Christian life. We will all fail, never quitting, never giving up, always moving forward, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. We press on towards the goal to win the prize, which God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. That is is the normal Christian life. We aren't going to be victims. We're going to be victors. Don't languish in your past. When we stumble by the Spirit's power, pick yourself up and follow the Master. And listen to this. Jesus is always, always, always waiting for you. And, his, and he is always, he's not like this. Shame on you. Shame on you. You shouldn't have done that. Never is Jesus like that. He is with this with his people. Arms wide open. I have a picture. I love this picture. You've seen it a million times. And it's just he embraces you. And he holds you. When you need him the most, he will be there to hold you and grab onto you and comfort you. I love the picture, folks. This is amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? Peter had three denials and three restorations. Folks, the scripture says this loud and clear. Come and see the master. Come and see. We welcome you. Come and see the master. Come and follow the master. Oh, come and follow Jesus. And then come and serve the master. I have this final picture here. And it's this picture of Jesus said, come and follow. I love this because you have these footsteps there. And you have these footsteps of following the Messiah. 1 Peter 2.21 says this, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should, I love this, follow in his steps. It's not going to be easy life here. He's talking about suffering, that you follow in his steps. John 10.27 says this, My sheep hear my voice. This is Jesus speaking and I know them, and they follow me. How do you know you're following Jesus? Because you're obeying him. You're becoming more like him and less like you. You're making more faith choices instead of flesh choices. And then this one, the final call in scripture to come. Revelation 22, 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. Come. Jesus says, follow me. And remember this. Jesus will always lead you to safety. He will always lead you home. He will always lead you in the right direction. Come and follow. Come and follow the master. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us to study your word. Thank you that your word truly is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Your word gives me direction through life. And I pray that every person within earshot of me today will be disciplined enough to read your word, put your word in their hearts to help each one of us to know which way to go. When I want to go to the right or to the left, oh, your word will guide me. Your spirit will speak to me saying, oh, Rick, this is the way walk in it may each of us hear the voice of the spirit of the living god directing our lives as we navigate through this life thank you for this time together lord thank you for your word in jesus name amen